0: Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. And together, we're carrying the good news about Jesus to the world of golf. What's up, fellas? Hey, boys. Hey, guys.
1: Good to be back right after a good Thanksgiving.
0: Oh, yeah. Good Thanksgiving for you guys?
1: It was.
2: Went to Raleigh, hometown. Saw family from all around the world. There's 76 people there, so... Uh, I, I had a great time, but the quiet house
0: is not bad either. It's literally like the tribe of Israel. But, Webb,
1: um, there, there was one particular highlight besides the gravy and the great turkey and all that um, for your Thanksgiving. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about your enormous victory?
0: I'm sure a lot of people well, read about it online. Yeah, competitive greatness. It just oozes out yeah. of you. So, I
2: mean, since I've had such a stellar year on tour, you know, I hadn't played a weekend in about 10 years, it seems like. <laughs> Had to get a W somehow. So we did Simpson Family Tennis Challenge and um, husband-wife play. So Dowd was my partner. And you just got to keep winning and keep be- beating uh, the other couples. So we made it to is, the final. Is finals. that how a
0: competition works? <laughs> <laughs> if our listeners didn't know, when there's a tournament, one team plays another team and the winning team advances. <laughs> We just – I just had to get as many wins
2: in this speech as possible. Uh, so, my sister's two boys are 10 and 12 years old. They're two nice little tennis players. Everybody agreed they're the best, so they get to go to the finals without playing anyone. So, we matched up against them. Well, we're down 2-0, and we're playing first team to win three games. And I'm just not happy. I mean, they're
1: – You and Doubt are on the ropes.
2: Yeah, like – I'm way older than their combined ages. I mean they got no power, but they're just good. They're just hitting it where we can't quite get to it. So we win, the next game is two one. We win the fourth game two two and we take it all the way it goes to Deuce. And I think the point And boys you're gotta, serving. I mean, I, I know yeah. you're not
0: wanting a lot of glory, but you're serving.
2: I'm serving, you know, probably 30-mile-an-hour serve. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing the heat to the 10-year-olds. I mean, if my first serve is, let's say, 40, my second serve is about eight. <laughs> <laughs> but you're getting that thing in there. It's in the square. And, um, the you know, they're brothers. And so they get they didn't communicate well. And one of the boys went for a ball when he shouldn't have. And that was all she wrote. And so down and I were the Simpson family tennis champs. Um, didn't feel great, you know, taking it to a ten-year-old and a twelve-year-old, but I'll still take the W. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Good for you guys. Yeah, thank. you.
0: Really Good proud of you guys, guys, Webb. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh me, uh, how you guys spend your time in the off season? Got a few weeks off. What are you gonna do with your December, buddy?
1: Um, I'm kind of excited about golf right now. I felt like a little motivation with golf, and so I've uh, been training, doing some um, stack speed training that Sasha McKenzie. Got me going with, so I've been doing that every three days. That's been fun, um, but then also great family stuff. We're going to take a trip to Mexico uh, um, right before Christmas as a family. It was sweet being together as a family. For my parents came in for Thanksgiving, so um, excited about you know family stuff, and then also a little bit of golf training stuff, doing some workouts and um, doing some speed training, and just trying to get ready for uh, when I play again, probably in February.
0: Um, one fun fact about your family. Tell us what Doug and Katie Crane do literally every day.
1: Okay, so my parents are 73 years old. They're born one day apart, and they, my dad was having some back trouble, um, and the back doctor said, hey, the best thing you can do for your back is walk. And so my dad basically gave up golf, and he started walking like five miles a day. And my mom loves to walk, and so she was joining him. And they just kind of were tracking it on their phone, and they do a certain number of steps, which equals out to about five or six miles a day. And they are on 1,405 days in a row without missing of over five miles a day of walking.
0: That is wild. is that
1: wild? They'll, they'll be traveling internationally, and they will walk up and down airports to make sure they get their steps in. And so literally they said, I mean, they could write a book about it, but it's so fun. Like they said, they've never been closer. They've never enjoyed, you, you know, their time together more. And they kind of will a lot of times save their conversations for the walk, whatever, but they can always count on, you know, getting it in. And they're in great shape. Good for them. Gosh.
0: I mean, how dialed would your marriage be if you walked five miles every day with your I, wife? I, I don't yeah. think
1: Heather and I could get to 20 days in a row if we tried.
0: I mean, like it, that, that's a... I know. Something's gonna come up. Yeah. Victoria and I do one mile once a week. <laughs> Sunday afternoons. Oh, I gotta pick my game up.
2: And you're even thinking on Sundays, like, gosh, are we gonna do it today? <laughs> it's a little it's
0: a little do chilly, have, honey.
2: Yeah. Do we have it in us.
0: <laughs> um Weber, what are you doing this offseason?
2: So got a couple fun things. I got my 13th uh junior tournament, high school tournament, in Pinehurst. Web
1: Web Simpson Challenge.
2: Web Simpson Challenge that Willie Kane gets to speak at, which will be really fun. And then the following weekend, uh, I'm hosting a college golf fellowship retreat at my house here in Charlotte. Um, So really looking forward to those weekends. Those are two of my favorite of the year. Um, And then, you know, I've had – I have a lot of time off since the season ended in August. So I'm not really going to take an off season per se. Uh, So I'll be practicing – you know, working out here at Charlotte. But besides those two things, that's about it.
0: And when do you get back at it?
2: First event is second week of January at the Sony Open in Hawaii.
0: Sony Open. We got to just don't want to set expectation too high, but we got a good story for the listeners coming up Sony Open week.
2: Yeah. I would (laughs) tell all you listeners, do
0: not miss that episode. (laughs) Probably the most important episode we'll ever do. (laughs) It is, you know. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, we do have a little golf coming up. We got the Hero World Challenge happening. Um, in fact, it may be done by the time this episode comes out. Um, but big news there, we got Tiger Woods back in action. What are you guys thinking? How do you think Tiger's going to fare? I, I like Tiger Woods right in the
1: middle of the pack. I think he's, uh, his game is coming around. His health obviously is improving. He works hard. Uh, we're all excited to see him play again. I think middle of the pack is pretty reasonable, real, you know, guess.
0: Okay. I like that. What about you, Webb? What do you think? Top third, middle third, bottom third?
2: You know, I think his tournament, he's hosting, he's going to be busy, but I think he's excited to play. So I'm going to go top third.
0: You're going top third. That leaves Willie in one place. (laughs) Yeah, where are you going, Willie K? Well, I think we need to put a little wager on it. Okay. All right, Weber, you get top third. Ben, you get middle third. How many guys we got playing? Like 18 guys? that'd be I nice so. okay perfect six perfect six yeah. i'll take the bottom third what are we what are we betting for
2: i mean last time we did a loaf of bread and i loved winning that so <laughs> i mean i think if i win i get i'm gonna pick i get a i get a loaf from ben
0: okay what about if i'm the loser i need a payment to one of you guys how about I, I, I just t- i buy y'all a great book Nah. Uh,
2: you no, know, no, you have to go to Ben's house and learn how to bake the bread. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that cost is hey, way
0: too high. By really? the way,
1: when we were when we were getting ready to go on a golf trip a few months ago, oh, this cannot w- come out. William walks into my house and he can tell I'm kind of scrambling to get, help us get out of the house. And he looks at me and he goes, dude, what can I do? And I'm like, Well, you can make the eggs. And he looks at me and goes, How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, you're a four, 35-year-old man, like you don't know how to make eggs. Hey,
2: uh, so you got, if you lose, Willie, you got to go watch him make it.
0: Man, okay. That's a big tiger. I, I love <laughs> you. I need you to stumble. I need you to stumble <laughs> to the finish line. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> what's hey, Webb what giving, Web giving us if he loses? Buddy,
1: okay. Here's what I want from you, Webb, if you lose. Okay. Um, you're going to owe me 50 push ups, and I can divide them up. And I can, we could be in a restaurant having an incredible dinner with an incredible bottle of wine, and I can look at you and say, Give me 10. And you need to drop down give me 10. So 50 push ups spread out anyway. I want them.
2: I love it. I'm in.
1: Deal. That's great.
0: That's great. <laughs> I, I'd it take, will
1: come at funny times. I promise you that.
0: I'll, I'd take a middle of the road bottle of wine from your cellar. <laughs> middle okay, of the road. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Top notch. Deal. All right. Great. It's a bet.
1: It's a bet. All right, William, talk to us about what we're doing today. This is a, a unique um, podcast we're doing.
0: Yeah, it is. But before we get into it, we're, we're adding a new little segment.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's you right. Know,
0: we're going do a little tip from the tour. So it's the season to be given. I mean, so, Ben, help folks get better at golf. What are you oh, going to tell us?
1: All right. all right. Let me give you a little little tip. Um, okay, so if we lined up 100 average golfers on a, on a range and we watched them all with five irons, would we would we see an epidemic of people hitting in front of the golf ball, or would we see an epidemic of people hitting behind the golf ball?
2: Got to be behind the golf ball.
1: That's it. Like People struggle to hit the ball solid because they're almost always hitting behind the golf ball. And if it's not behind the ball, it's thin because it should have landed behind the ball. So why is that the case? And let me explain something real quick to you is that A lot of people have thought over years from golf magazine or something, you know, someone somewhere gave a tip that was transfer your weight to your right side. We should not do that. We should push off of our right side while we're making a backswing to get ourselves forward so we can strike the ground in front of the ball. So that's one of the most important things we'll ever learn in golf is how to strike the ball, the ground in front of the ball. And one way to practice it is to take a tee and put it on both sides of your golf ball And to hit the ball and to make sure that the divot started where the ball was or forward from there. And I'll give you one little side note that generally the face will come through a little more open when you move your bottom point forward. And you can move your bottom point forward by just staying forward with really your your chest or your upper body um, and not letting it fall too much back. And when the face comes through a little more open, you might need to close the face just slightly. But most importantly, let's start striking the ground,
0: in front of the ball. Great.
2: Love that. I love that.
0: I usually try to hit about an inch or so behind it and kind of scoop it up into the air. Is that a <laughs> yeah, good idea? Yeah. <laughs> Takes
1: all the spin-off, flies really well in the wind. <laughs> That's a <the> fat flyer. <laughs>
2: exactly. Oh, god. And
0: Bermuda does wonders.
2: Great. Yes, it does.
0: All right, well, let's, let's kind of give the listener a rundown of where we're going these next – three weeks leading up to Christmas time. Uh, In the first season this fall, we walked through 11 different meetings that Jesus had with people in the Gospel of Luke, all really in an effort to see what God is like. The Bible tells us there's nothing more important than knowing him and that Jesus reveals who God is. So by looking at those different meetings and seeing Jesus in action, we're able to begin to get a right idea about God. And because we've had so much fun looking at Jesus, we decided we want to keep doing that in this next little short Series that'll lead up to Christmas. And our motivation is just the same as it was. We want people to know the real Jesus. If you don't know him yet, we want you to meet him. And if you do know him, we want you to know him better. And if you want to know someone, one of the things that helps us get to know them is knowing where they came from. You need to know their background, their history. So in the next few weeks, with Christmas coming up, we're simply going to look at how Jesus came into the world. And even though some of this is going to be familiar if you've been around the Bible or church, um, I think if we look at it with fresh eyes, it'll be, it'll be fascinating, and it'll lead us to know Christ more and to worship Him. Um, so that's, that's where we're headed, and we're going to do it by looking at the very first verses today in the entire New Testament. But before we look at that, I'm going to ask Ben to pray for our time. We need the Lord's help uh, if we're going to rightly understand and apply the Scripture
1: lord god thanks uh for this day thanks for loving us thanks for sending your son to die in our place lord and lord um you're all that is good and um we need your help lord we are broken Mm -hmm. um needy and um and lord um you show grace in offering and providing help to us so Mm -hmm. thank you lord for this time thanks that we could open your perfect word learn from it
0: and grow lord so help us in Christ's name, Amen, mm-hmm. Amen, Amen. And Weber, if you will read for us, and just a quick reminder as we read some strange verses and big names, Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for us. And so, Amen. even in what we're about to read, there's some there's some stuff in here that we need to see. So, yep. this too is God breathed. And Amen right. to that. Do your best. Here we go. <laughs>
2: and Aminadab, the father of Nishan, and Nishan, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king.
0: Okay, since we got to a quick paragraph break, just want to highlight that Webb called Salmon Salmon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pick back up with the next paragraph.
2: And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, we're going to we'll let you start back at that No, just rough. keep it rolling. Okay. It's fine. Okay. But they know. <laughs> All right. Just start Before back I'm with pick it up. Okay. Uh And Abijah. Okay.
2: And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuid, and Abuid the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eluid, and Eluid the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations.
0: Yes. Well, well done, buddy. Wow. I mean, definitely the toughest course set up for us so far, as far <laughs> as reading the Bible goes
1: man
2: i'm sweating right now
1: that course is long it's tight there's water everywhere yeah you don't know where to
0: hit it no (laughs) a couple of bogeys but i thought all in all you played really well
2: yeah not a bad open around you know two under probably at a tournament you're in about 36
0: no 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 No. it's it's a hard set it's a u.s open setup and you shot okay you weren't under par, but you were, but the field was way over par. You were two over you're in ninth. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. right. Two over in ninth. Okay. Um, all right. Real quick before we dive in, what do you think the listeners are thinking right now after having read through that? What's going on right now? What are we doing? <laughs>
1: yeah. and, and maybe to your point,
2: Willie, how could that be profitable for us? Just yes. a bunch of names.
0: Totally. Why does this matter? Um, Another big question, why in the world would the entire New Testament begin with a genealogy? Hmm. Like, it's not how we think. Like, Webb, tell me about your um, great-great-grandfather. Can't. What about you, man?
2: I don't know know anything about him.
1: Uh, My great-great-grandfather, I actually have a chest in my house from him because he used to travel and he was a doctor. Um, What,
0: What about on your mom's side?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was a farmer in Iowa. That's all I know.
0: Okay. That's pretty good. You're better than most, but But I don't know much. Yeah. So our world doesn't necessarily work in, in America 21st century. We don't feel connected to previous generations nearly as much as these folks would. Um, but there's even much more going on than that, which hopefully we'll uncover here and hopefully in an exciting way. Um, First, let's just get our feet on the ground with context. So who's who's writing this first book of the New Testament? Matthew. And what do we know about Matthew?
2: He, we talked about him this fall. He's the tax collector that Jesus called and said, follow
0: me. Exactly. So that's it's just fun to remember as we start out. There was a time when this guy Matthew, who Luke calls Levi, was trapped and stranded in his own sin. And now here he is writing what presents as the first book of the entire New Testament. It's wonderful stuff, um, and who's he writing to?
1: He's writing to a Jewish audience, uh, which is further what's so amazing about Matthew is that he was, you know, a traitor to the people, a tax collector, and so the fact that God, you know, could restore and choose Matthew to write this Jewish gospel is incredible.
0: Mm. Perfectly said. And any idea what the goal of this gospel is? what's Matthew trying to get done in this gospel?
1: His goal is to show us that Jesus really did come from the royal line um, to be our perfect to, to be our Savior the Messiah Yahweh, and also to be the perfect davidic king
0: great yeah you're you're really jumping well into what we're going to talk about today, well said. Matthew is presenting Jesus of Nazareth as the Jewish Messiah, as the King of the Jews, as the Christ, as the one who's the f- fulfillment of all these Old Testament promises. So even up front, we get a hint at why Matthew might start where he starts. But let's let's begin where we where we ought to in verse 1. What does verse 1 say?
2: The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham.
0: Okay, and any of you uh, fellows know the Greek word for genealogy right here? Don't. Okay, so it's the Greek word genesis, which we would get oh. what word from? Genesis, genesis. Wow. Which means what? Beginning. The beginning. Yes. And so right up front, Matthew wants the reader to connect to the very beginning. Here's wow. the, <laughs> the beginning of the genealogy, the, the beginning of the story, the origins of Jesus Christ. That's where he wants to take us Gosh. back to the very beginning. And again, we're talking about the Genesis or the origins or the genealogy of who? Jesus, Jesus. Okay. And Matthew calls Jesus here, Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. Jesus full name. What, what's going on with Jesus and Christ put together?
1: I think it's he's saying Jesus the Christ. Um, He's obviously Jesus of Nazareth, but um, saying he's the Christ is is that he's the promised king that we've been waiting for.
0: Good. Yeah, I think a lot of times we can just say those two words right next to each other, never knowing what they mean. But when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about a man from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title that Matthew attaches to his name to show his identity, Jesus, the promised one, Jesus, the promised Messiah, Jesus, the promised King. That's who this is. So, so
2: question, Willie. Yeah. So when Jesus was living on earth, would most people have called him Jesus? Would his disciples have ever started calling him Christ? Or do you think that it was Jesus known as the Christ or the Messiah?
0: Yeah, I don't think while he was on earth, he would have been publicly called Christ. You know, we see the first real confession of that um, when Jesus asks the guys, who do you say that I am? And right. Peter says, you're the Christ. That's right. who you are. But I don't think they would have said, hey, Jesus Christ, man. You know, right. like, right. when are we going to the next town? I think they would have just called him Jesus of Nazareth. Gotcha. Um, so, um, so we're talking about the genealogy of Jesus the christ and then in this first verse matthew lists two really important figures who are these next two guys david and abraham david and abraham um that's right and if you look down at verse two that starts one paragraph and then if you look at verse six that starts another paragraph and so matthew structures this whole genealogy around these two guys okay shows how he came from abraham's line and then shows how he comes from david's line um That's going to be very important for a a Jewish person. So in order to understand why this is so important, we've got to put on our Jewish sandals here. We need to ask, who is Abraham and why does it matter that Jesus might come from his line? Mm -hmm. But before we ask that, it might help us to ask an even more simple question, and that's this, what is the Bible and how is it put together? So if I asked you guys at first, what is the Bible? What would you say? Mm.
1: I would say I would, it's a collection of stories written by various authors that are telling us about a promised one that is coming or in the New Testament has come to save his people.
0: Okay, good. Well, what would you say?
2: Yeah, I would I would say sim- simply it's God's communication to us and also kind of the story of God from creation to uh, you know, as we get into Revelation, the end of the Bible, uh, what is to come.
0: Yes. Well, well said, both of y'all. And and one, I think a lot of people listening would, if they've been around Christianity at all, they would say, yeah, the Bible's God's word. That's that's a phrase we use often, and that's true. That's right. The Bible is God's word. It is God's communication to humanity. But one of the words both of y'all used is story. The The Bible tells one story. Right, of who God yeah. is, of how he made us, where we came from. It tells how things went wrong in our world. And then it tells an ongoing story of what God has been doing and has done in human history to set things right mm-hmm. and how he's going to wrap it up one day, once and for all. And it all culminates in Jesus Christ. So instead of the Bible being this disconnected, you know, teachings or, or morality or whatever—it's actually moving us somewhere. It's telling what one author says is the true story of the whole world, mm-hmm. and I think that's right. Um, so, real quick, let's get our feet on the ground with the beginnings of this story because the the Jewish reader would be reading the Book of Matthew through the lens of a story. So, um, the Bible begins in Genesis. And what do we see in the first couple chapters of Genesis, chapters 1 and 2? Big idea. Creation. Creation,
2: yeah. He created the world,
0: created us. Yeah, and humanity's crown jewel of his creation. And where do we find uh, God and humanity in this creation? How are they interacting in chapters 1 and 2?
1: The Garden of Eden, and he has God has placed Adam and Eve in the garden to enjoy the fullness of all. He's made in perfect harmony No sin with one requirement. Just don't eat of the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil.
0: Great. Yeah. So you see some things right away about God's good design. God made us to be in relationship with him. God made us to be in relationship with one another. God made us to enjoy what he's given us. Um, But he's clearly the authority in the relationship, right? All that's very plain in those first couple chapters. Well, what happens in chapter three? Where Where do things go wrong?
2: sin enters the world for the first time. Yeah. God God gave Adam and Eve a lot of you cans, and there was only one you can't, and they decided to do the one thing God
0: told them not to do. Yeah, exactly. Okay? And when they do that, when they rebel against God, when they take Satan's bait, okay, what happens? Well, let they, me say it this way. I'll say it, and then you tell me. Then you expand. <clears throat> One way to say it would be this. Everything breaks. Right. Okay. So what breaks when Adam and Eve rebel against God? What relationships are now broken?
2: Well, I think uh, a number of relationships. First and most important is kind of the vertical relationship with man and God. So Adam and God, Eve and God. Um, I think uh, with each other. Yeah. Horizontally uh they've sinned they now have sin entered into their relationship and also just personally responsible you know they they are now held accountable of their own sin um and so themselves are broken yes and you even see that when
0: you see that idea of themselves being broken with all of a sudden there's this sense of shame they know they're naked right? right and so yeah so right now you got man and god that relationship's broken Man to one another, that relationship's broken. Man to himself, that relationship's broken. Perfectly said. Anything else?
1: Yeah, the relationship with the land.
0: Yeah, man's mm. relationship to creation. All of a mm. sudden, God says, okay, hey, work is going to be work. Thorns right. and thistles and, you know, it. we're not living in a perfect order anymore. Right. So all of that happens in the first three chapters of the Bible. And quickly for the person who just thinks, man, that sounds so far-fetched. And number one, I I just agree with you. Christianity is very weird. The Bible starts in a very strange way. But here's what I would say. What explains our existence more accurately than this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A very good world that sometimes we look around and we stand in awe of it, right? It might be five o'clock on a beautiful day as the sun's setting over a golf course. Or sometimes you look at things or a woman that you love, right? As you take your wife on a date and you think, dude, all is, all is well. You see the very good creation. But uh-huh. then in the next breath, we experience very real brokenness, right? We know that there's right. brokenness in our relationship with God. We know there's brokenness in our relationships with people. Conflict comes so naturally to us. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we've got to just be real. Man, I'm I'm broken myself. And really? so to me, the Christian worldview explains our reality better than any other worldview, as mm-hmm. strange as it might start. Yeah. But here's what I, here's why I start us in the garden today. After this fall of man, after this rebellion against God, God dishes out consequences to the serpent and to the woman and to the man. And when he dishes out consequences to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3:15, it comes with a very unique promise. Okay. He says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So when God gives these consequences from the fall, what's the idea of what he's saying to the serpent? What, what's in here in this promise? It seems
2: that in that promise, God is promising that his son will come once and for all, and Satan might have his uh, earthly reign in the sense of demonic reign and brokenness of the world, but one day Jesus will come back, and Jesus will crush the head of the snake or of Satan.
0: Yeah, perfect. So God is like dark as this whole thing is. God gives us a little glimmer of hope an offspring is going to come from the woman. Very vague. We don't have a lot of details at this point, but someone is going to be born as a human who will destroy the work of the devil. He will crush the head of the devil. And yet it's going to come at some cost to that person, whoever he is, he's going to be bruised in the process. So starting in chapter three, and this is all going somewhere toward our genealogy today. We have this promise that an offspring will one day set all these wrong things right. It'll make all these broken things straight. Now, what happens next in the book of Genesis from chapter 4 to chapter 11 is everything starts to unravel. There's disobedience, there's conflict, there's war, There's it's just terrible. Until we get to our next little glimmer of hope, which comes at the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. And who are we introduced to at that point? Abraham. Abraham. Okay, our guy, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. God, God starts his rescue plan, sets it in motion with this guy, Abraham. And if one of you boys can flip over to Genesis 12, what does God promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and then also verse 7?
1: And now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your Kindred and your father's house and to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and In you all the families of the earth shall be
0: blessed Okay good and then hit verse 7 for us too. Verse
1: 7 and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring. I will give this land So he built there an altar to the Lord and who had
0: appeared to him. Great. So the first thing God told Abram was to leave his country, go to the land that we now call Israel, the land that God promised to Abraham. And God promised Abraham that he would bless him to make his name great, to make him a great nation. And he blessed him so that he might be a blessing to others. And multiple times, God guaranteed this promise to Abraham and expanded on it. In chapter 17, he promised that kings would come from Abraham. Chapter 22, he promised an offspring that would bless all the nations. So after many years of waiting, God's promise to Abraham began to be fulfilled. We see this in the genealogy. So now if we go back to uh, Matthew 1, well, what's verse 2 say?
2: Okay. Matthew 1, verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers.
0: Okay, so Abraham finally has this boy Isaac, Isaac has Jacob. What was Jacob renamed? Israel. 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 Okay, so now we're starting to make some sense of things. So Jacob, who was renamed Israel, had Judah and his brothers. And who are Judah and the brothers?
1: The 12 tribes of Israel.
0: Great. Okay, so now if you've ever wondered, okay, why is Israel called the chosen people and all this stuff? Think of it this way. They're just Abraham's family. Abraham's family is the nation of Israel. This is who God promised to bless. This is who God promised to make a great nation. This is the family through whom God, God promised to bless the entire world. And so the book of Genesis tells us about those first four generations. Well, if you've read much, much of the old Testament, you know that this family grew and grew and grew, right? It started with like Webb's family at Thanksgiving, 70 people. (laughs) Um, And then when or when uh, when Jacob died, and then 400 years later, as they moved to Egypt, there's over 2 million people. Okay, So those 2 million people, they grow and grow and grow. They're enslaved in Egypt, but God hears their cries, and God makes a plan to deliver them, and he does that. Uh, this is the story of Exodus. He delivers them out of slavery in Egypt. He then gives them rules for their worship. He gives them a law to live by. Um, This is really the books of Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy. And then after a generation, God brings the family of Abraham into the land that he promised Abraham, right? That's the book of Joshua. So God's people are now in God's place, and it seems like they're beginning to live under God's rule. But here's what happens in your Old Testament. It doesn't take long for the people to start doing what was right in their own eyes. That's what the book of Judges is all about. Generation after generation, generation. The people of God disobey God, and it has terrible consequences. They suffer from the nations all around them until they repent and cry out to God, and God raises up a deliverer to save them. This is, happens over and over again in the book of Judges. And all through these years, though, the line of Abraham continues to go on. Well, the last judge of Israel is this guy named Samuel, and he also happened to be the first prophet in Israel since Moses. And the people come to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, and either got guy, you guys remember what they asked for? A king. Yeah, they want a king. And why do they want a king?
1: They want to be all like all the other nations. But they're not. But they want, they want to be.
0: Right. Instead of being the set-apart people that God had called them to be, with God ruling and reigning over them, they demand a king. Bad motives for them, but God is going to use those bad motives to accomplish His good plan. So first they chose a king named Saul who turned out to be lousy. But then God chooses his own king in 1 Samuel 16. And who does God choose? David. David. Okay, so now we're back to our genealogy. Um, Matthew wants to make sure we know that Jesus is part of Abraham's family, and he wants us to make sure we know that Jesus came from David's family. Hmm. And we see this in verse 6. What does verse 6 say in Matthew 1?
2: And Jesse, the father of David the king.
0: Okay, so now, go go ahead, yeah, sorry.
2: And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah.
0: Yes, so Matthew draws our attention to the fact that not not only does Jesus come from David, but he comes from David the king. Now, quickly, what do we know about David? David was
1: a great king, but he had some great falls as well and did some horrible things. Mm -hmm. Totally.
2: David represented his... David came out and beat the great giant Goliath when he was kind of a nobody
0: he did it 's very much like 'm um, glad you brought that up because it reminds me of the <laughs> the tennis match you played <laughs> you know it's just you got a 12 year old and a ten year old with your wife and there's, there's no way we could stand against such a such a worthy foe. Oh, and-
2: Smith, my 10-year-old nephew was Goliath to me that day, okay? <laughs> but down he went. Down he, down went. he went. He did. <laughs> um
0: Okay, so David is this man and he's he's very flawed like Ben said, but he's a man after God's own heart. He really loves God and he really when he when he sins, he repents and he wants what God wants. Um but that's not the only reason Matthew wants to show us that Jesus came from David, okay? Uh, just like God had made big time promises to Abraham, God had made big time promises to David, and I just want to show you one of them uh, in Second Samuel seven twelve through the first part of fourteen. So, Ben, once you get that,
1: when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you shall come. Who shall come from your body? And I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me
0: a son. Okay, so what, what does God promise David? This is a thousand years before Jesus ever comes. What does God promise in these verses? He's
1: bringing a better, a better king who's gonna, his kingdom will last forever.
0: Yes. That's right. So now this promise narrows. Not only do we have this offspring of a woman, but we've got an offspring from Abraham who's going to bless all the nations. And this tells us he's going to come from David's line. But he's not just going to come from David's line. He's going to have a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. So what do we notice about the people mentioned in the genealogy from verses 6 to verse 11? So now you guys just look and put on your detective hat, what do all those guys in verses 6 to verse 11 after David have in common?
1: I have no idea.
0: Yeah, same. Okay, They're all kings in Judah. Oh, gotcha. Okay. They're, they're all royalty. Wow. So Matthew wants us to see not only has Jesus come from Abraham's line, he has come from David's royal line. Mm. Hmm. And and we're going to be able to make some, I think, confident conclusions about Jesus as we get to the end of this. So that's paragraph two. Paragraph one shows us how Jesus comes from Abraham. Paragraph two shows us how he comes from David. Um, But over time, these kings listed in verses six to 11, they were not faithful to God, sadly. And so as God promised Moses, he allowed the people of Israel to be taken out of their land. It's, It's really crazy when you think about it as a historical reality. But the nation of Israel, not only did they split and have civil war essentially because of sin, but they're taken out of their land. They're exiled. They're deported. That's that phrase, the deportation to Babylon. All this happened in the southern kingdom of Judah a little after 600 B.C. And for 70 years, the family of Abraham, David's royal family, they're out of their land. Um. But after 70 years in exile, God brings them back. All this is real verified history. It's, it's crazy. You can read about this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And some of these guys that we see in verses 12 and 13, they're major players in that. Shealtiel, Zerubbabel. But not long after them, with the people back in their land, the entire Old Testament ends pretty abruptly. And for 400 years, there's silence. But in the middle of that silence, what line continues? This Davidic line? Yeah, this line from Abraham, this line from David, these guys keep having sons until we're told what in verse 16, the end of the genealogy.
1: Hmm. That Joseph has a boy named Jesus.
0: Yes. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All this led up to this one guy, Matthew says, that I'm presenting to you. I'm Mm -hmm. presenting him to you with this genealogy, this Mm -hmm. genealogy that comes from Abraham, this genealogy that comes from David. Here is your Christ. So that's, that's like the overview of the genealogy with a little old Testament history sprinkled in. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I want to do what we've been doing this whole first, first season. Um, I want to ask, what does this teach us about Jesus? Matthew's trying to communicate some things here. So what does this teach us about the identity of the Lord?
2: Well, it's, you touched on this earlier. Um, God always fulfills His promises. And, I mean, thousands of years went by, and these, this original audience could understand this so well and would know who these people are. And so they would realize, wow, you know, I feel like they would read this and maybe light bulbs would be going off of abraham's covenant with the lord and David's covenant with the lord um and so yeah i mean god always fulfills his promises and matthew right here is giving proof of where he came from
0: yeah
1: and i think one of the coolest things is though even when you know god has made some promises to abraham to the to david to the kings that god would be faithful and clearly um his people were not faithful but -hmm. god is still faithful even when we're not faithful and that's Mm -hmm. just comforting um convicting and amazing Mm -hmm. yes
2: and ben to your point ben i agree so much and it's crazy to me that god would in his sovereignty use these knuckleheads to bring about his purposes like the fact that he used some of these people like Without thinking very hard, I think most of us would agree. You would think Jesus would come from a line of just amazing <laughs> priests and and just these holy people, but some of these some of these guys, you know, their lives are kind of and girls all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful picture of how God will use our yuckiness to bring about his glory.
0: How much do you only use the word yuckiness if you have kids under 5? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a really not in your vocab for about you know it takes about 20 years off and then
0: oh yeah then it comes back just hard yeah you know?
2: the reason i love the word yucky is because you can u- use it in so many different contexts for <clears> so many different things <laughs> i mean ben when an amateur hits behind the ball right hits it fat it's a yucky shot oh gosh I mean, <laughs> it felt it, yucky it looked yucky yeah it sounded yucky
0: rattles through your bones <laughs> um One of the things I love about this genealogy is that it shows us that our faith is historically rooted. God has acted in real history with real people. And Jesus of Nazareth, who really lived in the first century in Israel, is really from the real family of Abraham. That qualifies him to be the offspring that would bring blessing to all the nations. We see that, we'll see it again in a minute. And he's not just the offspring of Abraham, he also comes from the line of David. That qualifies him to be the promised son of David. The one who would have an everlasting kingdom, the one who would be a son of God. So Matthew begins his gospel by saying to the Jewish people, look, look at this background. This Jesus is the seed of the woman. He is the offspring of Abraham. He is the son of David. He matches the description. He's the legal heir to God's promises, not in a fake way, in a real historical way. Um, The other thing I think is really worth seeing here is that Matthew doesn't just want to show us that Jesus is the legal heir. He also wants to show us that Jesus is the promised king. We've already seen that in a couple ways. First, this whole middle paragraph is filled with kings. It shows us that Jesus comes from a royal line. We've seen it in the title Christ. And just a quick reminder, what does this term Christ mean? Messiah. Messiah. The promised one. Yeah, anointed one, literally. One. Um, and who was called the Lord's anointed in the Old Testament? David. Yeah, the kings. Yeah. You remember when David would had the chance to kill Saul? Oh, yeah. Far be it from me to kill...
1: The Lord's anointed.
0: The Lord's anointed. The Lord's king. And so this is, this is kingly language. And remember, here's what Matthew's trying to show his Jewish reader. Here's your promised king. Hmm. Hmm. This is him. And we see it from start to finish. One of the ways that scripture writers will show us something is really important is by bookending it. Okay? That means they start with it, and they finish with it. Oh, that's cool. And it shows us this is really important. So mm-hmm. not only do we see this in, in Matthew 1, Jesus is the Christ, and he comes from these kings. When the wise men come in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, what do they say? What question do they ask?
2: Where is he who has been born king of the Jews?
0: So they're looking for the king of the Jews. When Jesus was crucified, Matthew 27, the end of the gospel— What is written over his head? Matthew 27, 36.
2: Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews?
0: Yes, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So putting that together from start to finish, Matthew is trying to show his readers that Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament promises. He is the one God promised would come from Abraham and David. He is our King. So this Christmas, when we sing things like, This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This is what we're celebrating. Hmm. Our king really has come. Okay, but Amen. this genealogy, it, it definitely sheds light on the identity of Jesus, but it also has implications for us. And this, you guys are already teasing this. Uh, I love just your your perception. Um, this shows us what kind of king Jesus is going to be. It also shows us what kind of subjects he'll accept. Mm-hmm. So... What is unusual about who's included in this genealogy?
2: I mean we know the sins of a lot of these people. Okay. I mean, we we know their life wasn't always um just pure and following after the Lord and obeying his commands. Yes. So I yeah. can identify with them.
0: Yeah. What else do we notice about this genealogy? You you mentioned this earlier. Not just men, but Women, oh,
1: when we see um, women who have been unfaithful, who've lived the dark life of prostitution. We see women and men who don't deserve to be there-ish, and they're grafted in. Yes. They're adopted, and it's like, why does God choose to be adopted, you know, or, or allow these people to be in his family line, it's just amazing.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. good. So first things first, if we're, again, putting on our Jewish sandals, women wouldn't have been into genealogy. Mm. Matthew does this on purpose. There's mm. five different women included in here, okay? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, and Mary. Um, And as far as where they come from, so we're going to see what they were here in just a second. But as far as where they come from, with the exception of Mary, what do these women have in common? Any idea?
2: Prostitution?
0: No. That well, some share that in common for sure. That's not what I'm looking for. They're all they're all foreign women. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. Tamar is a Canaanite. Rahab's Canaanite. Ruth's a Moabite. Uh, Uriah mm-hmm. was a Hittite. Bathsheba's married to. Him. So they're all foreign women. So before we get into this... They're all from out of town. They're all from out of town. (laughs) All right, but remember, Matthew's writing a Jewish gospel. What might be one motivator for him to throw those women in there? What might he want to communicate to us about who it is that Jesus has come to include?
2: He's come to include everybody, not just the Jews. Good. And not just the
1: societal upright. Totally. Correct.
0: Totally. So Jesus Christ is not simply the Christ or the Savior or the King for the Jewish people. That doesn't sound like a big deal to us 2,000 years removed. It is a huge deal that He is the Savior for the whole world. Mm. Remember the promise to Abraham, from your family, from your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Mm. Mm. Jesus is the offspring who will bless all the nations. That means non-Jewish people like us, people who are not from Abraham's family ethnically, we can be brought into the family of God and made a part mm. of His chosen people. Let's go. There's really good news there
1: for Very people gracious. from
0: every nation under heaven. Okay, And it's a huge idea in Matthew. We've already talked about bookends, right? When something starts with something and finishes with something, it's important. How does the Gospel of Matthew end? The Great Commission, go and... Make
1: disciples of all nations, of, baptizing.
0: Of all nations, right? Go and take this good news to all the nations. This salvation is for everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the implications it has for us. Now, the other one is what you guys have been on top of this whole time. These women are not just foreign. With three of the four before Mary, Tamar, Rahab, and the wife of Uriah, what do they all have in common?
2: Sexual sin.
0: Sexual sin. Sexual immorality. Tamar is a prostitute who fools Judah into having children. Perez in the genealogy. uh, Not Pat Perez, different Perez. Um, Rahab, what's included next to Rahab's name in almost every mention of her in the rest of the Bible? Rahab the... Prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. Yeah, she is... How would you like to add that next to your name? <laughs> I <Yeah>. mean, gosh. <laughs> uh, um, and then the wife of Uriah. Who's the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. And what do we know about her?
1: She was looked down upon David, and David... Lusted after her.
0: Yeah, has an affair with her. Mm -hmm. Um, So three of these four women, and then, of course, there's all kinds of rumor about sexual infidelity with Mary's pregnancy, although there's not. But three of these four women are, quote-unquote, immoral women. Mm. Their lives are filled with brokenness, sin, Mm. um, and the men listed are not any better, right? This whole list is full of failures and misfits and rebels. Yeah. But but there's something that I think Matthew wants to see in this. What what truth can we derive from this genealogy, based on who populates it?
1: God is full of grace, and he welcomes people who will come to him in faith.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes,
2: and there's literally nothing we can do to to disqualify ourselves from God's love.
1: I mean, he's really gentle and lowly of heart, and he you know, came to save sinners like you and me. You know, he just, yep. he loves to do it. Like you always tell us when he's drawn to people who are broken and have faith. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and why would these names be included If God did not want them to be included, he wants to show us his heart. He wants to show Mm us that he, he knows what it's like. He's come from a line of broken and sinful people and he's come to save broken and sinful people. Mm -hmm. And so here's what that means. If you're listening to this and you're aware of your sin or your brokenness or your failing or your weakness, take a deep breath. You're in good company. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ people came. Or Jesus Christ came, I'm sorry, for people like you. And he came for people like me. He came to seek and save the lost. He wants to be your king. Mm -hmm. He wants to be your savior.
2: Hmm. That's such good news.
0: Isn't that the best?
2: It is. Um, I mean, it it, it also, it gives you a sense of just exhaling. Because I think, you know, for me, and I think all of us as Christians, when we sin... Um, there's things that come into our heart and into our mind where we just feel like failures and that sometimes we feel unlovable. But this is such a good reminder that God just desires us to repent when we mess up mm. and to learn from it and to follow Him because His ways are better than our ways. And this is just a great encouragement um, for us.
1: And I think that, you know, in the world we live in today, people get canceled, you know, and, and sometimes we even cancel ourselves, um, try to disqualify ourselves, but God is in the business of forgiveness and restoration Mm -hmm. and bringing us back Mm. and buying us back out of, you know, we see in so many of these stories of prostitution, right? He, he goes and gets us back and brings us back and restores us into his, you know, loving care. And it's just like mm-hmm. by no means do we deserve any of that.
0: Yes. And so we'll I'll ask a question f- to give you boys the last word, but what's what's you think the appropriate way to respond to this? What should this do in our souls?
2: Um I think it gives hope to the non-believer to know that Um, whatever their life has led them to this point, that God's forgiveness and love is greater, that his mercy and forgiveness is greater, um, but that we don't just believe in some fairy tale. This is, as you said, William, real history. It really happened. Um, And this, even though this was written a couple thousand years ago, is still encouraging us today and moving in our hearts today to, to, uh, just encourage me to to love people better and love God more
1: and what Jesus Christ did on that cross he did for us, so that mm-hmm. if we look at him in faith and thank him for that what he did he did for us to pay for all of our sins, not just most of them or some of them, but like all of our sins mm-hmm. are, are really taken upon Jesus Christ on that cross, we are forgiven, we are saved and we are brought into the family of God, and there's no greater gift. And so now we get to
0: walk in freedom,
1: Uh and there's no greater gift. Amen.
0: Yeah. I I know I did say last word, but I might add, we also might walk in worship. I think especially this time of year. (laughs) Wouldn't it be sweet as we sing some of these old familiar songs to realize who it is that we're worshiping mm-hmm. and what it is that he's actually done. And yep. this time of year is just good for us to be stirred. Mm-hmm. You really are our King. You really did come for us. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. over the next few weeks, it would be sweet just to give him praise because he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you have questions about Jesus, we'd love to answer them as best we can. You can email us at BibleCaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at BibleCaddy. And we'll be back next week. Until then, let's get into the Word and let the Word get into us.